Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association of North America's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association of North America or the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. Clay Nully with TSAOG Orthopedics in San Antonio. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Eric Mackney. Dr. Mackney is a staff surgeon at Henry Ford and a team physician for the Detroit Lions. He was a senior author on a paper entitled Fatigue Increases Dynamic Knee Valgus in Youth Athletes, Results from a Field-Based Drop-Jump Test, published in the January 2020 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal. Dr. Mackney, thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. So let's start off with just kind of the background and the backdrop, the impetus for the study, and then kind of the basic main conclusions and main findings from the study. Yeah, so, you know, our study was looking at the, the at a field-based drop-jump test and specifically to see whether or not fatigue had any role in increasing dynamic knee valgus. When I was in residency, some of my um, attendings and colleagues had uh, done a validation of a field-based test. And I think that as we move forward with uh, video-based analysis and kind of smart technology, I think there's a real uh, momentum to try to get better assessments in the field rather than in expensive, high-tech labs. So we wanted to see if we could kind of expand upon the um, the study by Redler on the field-based drop jump to see if we can detect any impact of fatigue. Um, and I think it's one of those age-old questions, you know, what contributes to ACL risk, and we know there's a lot of uh, different ri- uh, risk factors already out there, but we wanted to see if we could determine whether or not fatigue had a role, and if so, if we could quantify it. So that was the kind of uh, uh, motivation behind the study, and you know, uh, in brief, we took a, a number of uh, high school athletes, about 85 of them, anywhere from 14 to 18 years old, and we basically did a uh, drop-jump analysis before and after fatigue protocol. And uh, we randomized the videos uh, and we sent it to about 11 different observers, physical therapists, senior residents, orthopedic surgeons, athletic trainers, to see if fatigue had any role in uh, increasing drop jump. So that was the, that was the kind of goal of the study. Yeah, so that that's great. I think it's really awesome that you guys used a, a certainly a high-risk population. That 14 to 18-year-old high school population is one that we certainly see wide variation in neuromuscular control and neuromuscular strength. Can you just comment basically just briefly on the what the exact exercise protocol that you guys utilized was and then how you measured change in fatigue with the vertical jump? Yeah, so we had a protocol. It basically was a list. Uh, it was a series of jumping jacks, squats, planks, and lung jump, uh, lunge jumps. And what we did was we had the athlete do a maximum vertical jump. Then we did the fatigue protocol. And when we retested the, the uh, dynamic valgus uh, uh, on the drop jump, we retested their maximum vertical jump to see if we can quantify or normalize what impact the fatigue was. And what we were trying to see, we, you know, we defined fatigue state as a 20% drop in maximum vertical uh, a leap. And we've got about a quarter of our, our kids out there. So I think that the challenge with these kinds of studies is that there's not a lot of really good evidence on what's a good fatigue protocol and what's a good fatigue assessment. So we're, we're trying to find out what's the most relevant possible. Uh, but even so, even with a fatigue protocol where we had the kids do, you know, game type stress and conditions, we only had about a quarter of the of the students um, or the athletes get to that 20% threshold. And on average, there was about a 15% drop uh, in the maximum vertical leap. So that's how we tested it. But we really wanted to quantify it and normalize it based on some sort of objective metric. 
Yeah, it's interesting as you mentioned the only a quarter of them kind of reached that 20% threshold. I think it was 22 of the 85 athletes reached that 20% threshold and decrease in the vertical jump for the fatigue threshold. But interestingly, I think there was something like 38 of the athletes still had increased dynamic knee valgus. So even though so there's actually more that had an increase in dynamic knee valgus than reached that 20% threshold for the decrease in vertical jump. So it almost kind of shows that even if they don't reach that set threshold. And I'm sure you guys probably set that just to just to set an objective number so you could measure that um, and statistically measure that. But even more than that, still had changes in dynamic valgus, even if they didn't have a significantly amount of higher fatigue as, as based on the vertical jump. Yeah. And, and it's hard to tell exactly how that, I think that's the biggest limitation they study in any, any, any of these kinds of studies is, is that fatigue that we're testing really relevant to game-based situations? So you take your prototypical, you know, 16-year-old female soccer player, right? That's an endurance game. If she's been out there playing 40, 50 minutes, is that short burst fatigue enough to really resemble what it's like in a game-based situation? And, and the reality is that you, you can't test a real situation. And we've done a lot of stuff in baseball. It's the same kind of challenge. It's hard to test fatigue, but I think that, you know, it's our job to do the best we can and get some sort of objective metrics. And, and as you mentioned, you know, a half of all the kids had an increase in, in the dynamic valgus after the fatigue protocol. Uh, and the way we did it is that we recorded them before and afterwards, but we blinded, you know, which one was which so that when the reviewers uh, graded the assessment, they didn't know if this was pre-fatigue or post-fatigue protocol. Um, and, you know, after the fatigue protocol, 68% of the kids were classified as medium or high risk. So even if only a quarter of them hit that 20% threshold, there's there's clearly some sort of impact on that dynamic knee valgus. And then all the literature beforehand has indicated there's a, there's a link between dynamic knee valgus and ACL tear. And, you know, there is a lot of controversy. We don't know if, if fatigue plays a role in that. And I think that just highlights the challenge we have in, in testing and measuring fatigue and administering fatigue in, in a study situation. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. Is that you think that's the primary kind of differences between some of these studies? You know, there's some there's other studies out of there. As you mentioned, a lot of studies have shown that the dynamic knee valgus, you know, contributing to ACL injury. But there's a lot of studies, or at least a number of studies, and a few reviews. Tim Hewitt and Kate Webster have kind of done some different type of reviews on relationships of fatigue to ACL injury. And some of the studies have shown, you know, no no relationship to fatigue to amounts or uh, a type of ACL injury. And so there's kind of some inconsistencies, certainly in the literature. Um, so how do you think your, your all study differs from that? Or how, what, do you think it's mostly just based on our inability to appropriately evaluate fatigue or evaluate that as a objective measurement? Or how do you, th how do you uh, determine the differences between those studies? I think a lot of it has to do with the fatigue assessment. And I don't have the, the number of kids in the other studies offhand or, or the number of participants, but we had about 85, which is a, a pretty reasonable number. And we had 11 reviewers viewing the uh, um, the, the the drop jump. So that's a pretty, it's a reasonably robust study, you know, from a practical perspective to, to get it. Um, so I think that the, the big challenge, which is causing the discrepancy is in the fatigue protocol. So not only do we not have a good standardized fatigue protocol, we don't know how to test fatigue. So what is the impact of fatigue? Because maximum vertical jump may not be relevant to a soccer player. Um, we don't, we can't test this in real life conditions, right? They don't have the game-based stress, the weather, the the fact that they've been playing for 40 minutes. We also can't control for their effort. We can tell them to act like it's a game day effort, but we know it's not the same as a simulated session versus a real session. So I think that's where some of the discrepancy is, but we do have a good handle as a field that dynamic knee valgus probably has some contribution to ACL risk, and that's with, with Hewitt studies. 
and that if you do neuromuscle control, uh, control and, uh, and optimization uh, with Mandelbaum studies, that you probably can reduce that risk. So there's a link there, and we just don't know how to place fatigue there. Uh, and that was kind of the big motivation for doing the study, to try to get some sort of quantitative basis on this. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a great impetus for doing the study, especially as it relates to, you know, hopefully trying to counsel uh, players and coaches and parents about neuromuscular control, you know, just adding more more data to our information and understanding of neuromuscular control in general. So one of the other interesting findings from the study was that female athletes and athletes older than 15 years of age were more significantly affected by exercise. Uh, maybe the female athlete one is maybe understandable, or maybe that's easily correlatable because we know that female athletes in general are a little bit higher risk of ACL injury. Or, but the older athletes was kind of an interesting finding. Um, would you just comment on those two findings of the study and whether that, that was expected or unexpected and, and why? Yeah, I, I think you hit it right on the head. I think that the female athlete being at increased risk, we know they're at a higher risk at baseline. It's not a, a super large stretch to say that they're at increased risk of fatigue. So maybe their their risk is a little more sensitive to any of these changes. So I was less surprised about the, the, the female gender risk. I was a little bit more surprised about the age. And that can be a, due to a couple reasons. One, it just might be we don't have enough kids to say maybe it's just an incidental finding that we that we found. The other The other thing is that Maybe the difference in fatigue is more. There's more of a um, of a magnification at an older age um, that there's a higher impact on the dynamics uh, at an older age, and I can't explain why that is, um, but that's what the data shows. So, I think you know the way to kind of really clarify it is either a repeat the study with a much bigger population, or try to do the study. In, you know, get kids that are actually playing a game and get them right before they get on the field and then retest them as they come off the field. So that's another way to do it, but that would obviously take a very, very long time. Certainly. So that's kind of one thing that you mentioned. Where do you think kind of the research in this area and in this uh, dynamic of ACL research is going? Where do you think the future is going with that? Or what, what kind of re further studies can we do or can we design to potentially improve the evaluation of fatigue and the evaluation of ACL injury as it relates to that? So I think there's a parallel um, from that question, which is a really good question, I think there's a parallel from ACL injury risk uh, with baseball and throwers, right? We know that with overuse throwing injuries, which is also in this population, uh, 14, 18 year olds, that it's not just the arm, right? I and mean, yes, there is contribution from the, the, the flexor pronator and the elbow and, and, and the shoulder, but really it's the whole kinetic chain. And core strength probably has a lot to do with it. And any of us who have played overhead sports or any sort of sports know that you know, if you have good technique, you could have good output, whether it's a velocity on a serve or a, or a baseball pitch, and it doesn't have everything to do with just pure strength. So the extrapolation I'll make is that we do need to figure out what impact fatigue has on injury risk, and we know that the neuromuscular control is important. So where I want to see this go is maybe some randomized studies where we can do a drop jump in a cohort of players and then randomize one section, uh, one segment to a, a core-strengthening endurance training pro, uh, protocol and then have a control group and see if that changes the dynamic knee valgus going forwards. So that's one way to test uh, in an indirect way um, uh, the impact of fatigue if you can get better better training. And we're trying to do that in the baseball world too right now. So uh, I think that would be a nice follow-up study that we could do. 
Yeah, that would be terrific. I think you probably would see potentially big differences or significant differences. It'd be a great uh, study design for sure. Well, Dr. Magny's article, Fatigue Increases Dynamic Knee Valgus in Youth Athletes, results from a field-based drop-jump test, can be found in the January 2020 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal or online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Eric, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks again for having me. That concludes this edition of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time.